Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. We've got two things going on today. We are going to review the Mina Lima Illustrated Edition of Sorcerer's Stone. It came out earlier this week. And we are going to discuss the most controversial opinions about the Harry Potter series. This was inspired by a... Uh, post we made on social media showing somebody facing torches and pitchforks. <laughs> we said, what what Harry Potter opinion will get you in this position? We'll have you facing protesters. So we are going to read your most controversial opinions today. I think it'll be a really fun discussion. But first, some housekeeping. We are going to host another Quizich Live. And we are going to do it on Halloween because I imagine most of your Halloween plans are canceled this year. We are going to host Quizich Live Halloween Edition Saturday, October 31st at 3 p.m. Eastern. It will be Halloween themed in part, right, Micah? What are the categories? Yeah, so I, I don't want to give everything away, but uh, we are theming it for Halloween, like you said. Maybe we'll have a round that deals with Boggarts in the Harry Potter series. I know that there's going to be one all about Lord Voldemort that Andrew, actually you specifically are working on. So I'm really excited for that. And then (laughs) we've talked a lot about in our most recent episode, the scariest moments in the Harry Potter series. So I would, if I were listeners, I would encourage them to go back and listen to that episode again, because we probably be pulling a few questions from there as well. Cool. Yeah. And for anybody who doesn't know, this is a live trivia game that you play against fellow Harry Potter fans. It's open to everybody. We use a really cool trivia system to to run this thing. We'll also have us on video. Uh, so it's a lot of fun. Again, Quizich Live Halloween Edition this Saturday, October 31st at 3 p.m. Eastern. Also, speaking of Quidditch, Quizich, Quidditch, who won our most recent debate about Quidditch? Me and Laura tried to argue that Quidditch is really stupid, while Micah and Eric <laughs> said that Quidditch is awesome and there's nothing wrong with it. Well, most people sided with Eric and Micah. 75% actually said that Quidditch, Quidditch is actually a great sport. Laura and I, we only got 25% of the votes. You know what? I'll take that as a win, though. It, it was a bit like arguing that ice cream is stupid, Right. So if we got 25% of people to agree with us, I think we actually did really well. But Quidditch actually is stupid. Like, I wasn't kidding. I think it's ridiculous. (laughs) Whatever. We also did book a cameo with Chris Hansen. Does everybody remember last week's discussion in which we were joking that Chris Hansen would uh, try to talk to Tom Riddle? Absolutely. Chris Hansen used to host a popular show on NBC called To Catch a Predator, in which he would confront predators, real predators, who were about to get involved with minors. It was very serious, dark, and bad stuff. And then last week's discussion about Tom Riddle and Jenny made us think of Chris Hansen. So we did book a cameo with him, and he recorded it. And Micah, Eric, and Laura are going to be hearing this for the first time. I'm so excited. Are y'all ready? (laughs) Can't wait. Tom Riddle. Tom Riddle. Hmm, why does that name sound so suspiciously familiar? Maybe because your secret screen name is T-Bone Tom 69. What do you mean by <laughs> T-Bone Tom 69? Tom, Chris Hansen here of Hansen versus Predators to catch a predator and have a seat with Chris Hansen. I'm going to need you to have a seat right over there. You know, I've been going through some transcripts, Tom, and I don't like what I see. We're still climbing out of a pandemic, Tom. You're still supposed to be socially distant, flattening the curve, not all this stuff about letting snakes loose in the Hogwarts pipe system. 
trying to possess Ginny Weasley, leaving your diary all over the place. Nobody wants that. It's a sort of behavior, Tom, that could lead you to meet me in a dark kitchen someplace, having to call Albus to throw your bail. Do you think Albus would do that? We don't know. <laughs> so behave. And if you can manage that, I'll let you go this once. But I'll be watching, and I'll see you soon on the TV and my YouTube channel with new investigations. Don't be in one. Just watch them. In the meantime, I'll be watching you. So stay safe, stay healthy, and, well, stop possessing Ginny Weasley. All right? Thank you. Oh my god. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. He went uh, above and beyond. That he was really so perfect. Did. He must be a fan. You think so? A yeah. Harry Potter fan? Yeah. <laughs> think so. God, that was brilliant. Please tell me we're putting that on our social. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We'll definitely <laughs> post that so everybody can watch it for themselves. Just one other uh, piece of news here. Eric and myself, uh, we, we've actually been talking about this for a long time doing a, a podcast crossover uh, with Mike from Potterless. He actually joined us, I think, towards the end of, of last year to do one of the chapter-by-chapter chapter segments. But uh, we finally sat down and, and recorded with him uh, to talk about Fantastic Beasts. And it was a really fun episode. Mike does a great job with Potterless, I think, probably as a lot of our listeners know. And the episode that I did is scheduled to air on November 9th. And then, Eric, you're going to pick up where I left off and uh, wrap up the book with him. And that's going to be uh, scheduled to come out on the 16th of November. Yeah, I'm really excited cool. about it. It's uh, going to be a good time. And just uh, for our listeners, he was on episode 441 talking about chapter eight of Order of the Phoenix uh, on MuggleCast. So give that a listen. He's a good guy. Got a good show. Can't wait to be a part of it. And finally, just a reminder, don't forget to vote. November 3rd is coming up very quickly. Check out IWillVote.com to check your registration status and figure out where and how you can vote before November 3rd. You probably should do it before November 3rd. Uh, early voting is happening basically everywhere. So just get it out of the way here in the United States. And thank you for voting. Thank you for saving the country, maybe. <laughs> And don't forget to check your state's voter portal. You can actually check and see if your uh, early ballot was accepted. Now let's discuss the latest Harry Potter Illustrated Edition. This is Sorcerer's Stone, illustrated by Mina Lima. They are the graphic artists behind the Harry Potter and Fantastic Beast movies. I remember, y'all, when this was announced probably around this time last year, we were like, another Illustrated Edition? <laughs> We have an illustrated edition series in progress right now. Why are we getting another one? And I mean, we still don't know the answer. Um, <laughs> but this one is actually very different. And just the caveat, like we said with the Quidditch Through the Ages illustrated edition, if you're uncomfortable supporting J.K. Rowling, you could buy this book used at some point. Or an idea I had over the past week, you can buy it, look through it, and then return it. Or just <laughs> go to the bookstore. And Actually, no, you can't flip through it because did you guys notice that these books come individually wrapped i did notice this. yes i think it's because of all the protection that's in the book for all the fold-out parts i think i think you're right but it also benefits them because people can't peek in the book right <laughs> and, well i, I know, you know barnes and noble store. usually has like a display copy or something like that oh okay very covid friendly it is a very nice book um, I think I still, in terms of the illustrated editions, I still prefer the Jim K ones that are still in progress. I have to say, one thing I really like about this edition is it's smaller 
than the Jim K editions. You can actually read it comfortably. The Jim K ones are so big. You cannot comfortably read those books unless you're sitting at a table. But who wants to sit at a table while they read Gobble to Fire? That book is huge. Yeah, maybe that's one thing that Mina Lima was able to learn from the illustrated editions that they needed to be more compact. The illustrations overall are also less, you know, I'm not an art major, but they're less photorealistic hmm. than the Jim K editions. They're slightly more cartoony, but not in a bad way. It's not like SpongeBob. Again, the choice to not do a coffee table book to, to make it like handheld and pocket size is really, really interesting. Um, but I like it. They found, they just found a way to condense all of it and make it into a Harry Potter book that you can hold again, to your point. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's a really interesting choice. I mean, the thing is, you know, it's still inevitably bigger than the original because of all the fold up bits and the interactive bits and the illustrations. But, you know, for the most part, nothing is lost and only things are gained. Every page is beautifully bordered. Um, they make some really interesting choices, uh, as far as what to highlight from the events that are going on. And I'm just surprised how different it is from the Jim K illustrated edition, considering they both set out to do pretty much the same thing. One of the biggest differences between the Jim K edition and this is that this has various pop out features throughout the book. And uh, it looks like we have eight listed in our doc. There's Dumbledore's watch and you can play around with it. It's very (sighs) intricate. I was wondering what that was. Me too. But Eric wrote watch. So I guess read the book, guys. Read. Come on. (laughs) Is that important? No, well, the lore. It's, it's, it's chapter it, one. It's chapter one, the boy who lived and and Albus Dumbledore arrives on Privet Drive and nothing like the man had ever been seen before. And he opens his watch and instead of numbers, there's planets and like all these oh. gears whirring around. It's absolutely. And with this, this is my favorite part of the book. So I promise not to talk as long about everything else. But yeah, you can play with all the various levels. There's like three or four levels of the planet watchy spinny thing. And it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was the Deluminator. That was my first guess. Did it turn your lights out? <laughs> <laughs> I, yes, I tried. It didn't work. I'm sticking with Siri. Another pop out was the one of the letters that goes to Harry, one of his Hogwarts invitations. But what I liked about this is it wasn't the cupboard under the stairs letter. It was actually the floor hut on the rock in the sea letter. And I like that because we've seen the cupboard under the stairs letter so many darn times. It was nice that they actually changed up the address for this one. And then you can open up the letter and you can, you know, you you see the whole thing. The letter from McGonagall, the uniform Harry needs to bring, the course books, the other equipment. That was really well done. Yeah, that's the letter he actually gets in the book, too. That's the one he's able to open before Vernon takes it away. I think that one of the benefits of, of having Mina Lima do these illustrations is, as you both mentioned, they've worked on the movies. So there's so many things that they can draw inspiration from and probably so many things that they've created that never really got in front of people before because they may be tucked away in some set and you never see them. But now you're really going to get the opportunity for them to come to life in these books and you, you get your own individual um, items in some cases, which I think is going to be a draw for a lot of Potter fans. I think this is a really great holiday gift um, yeah. for for the first time Harry Potter reader or for that diehard Harry Potter fan, because there there's so many intricacies as you go through the book. 
I like how you put that, that some of this stuff may have been developed for the movies at some point, and then they just didn't get to use it. And now here it is in the book. I was thinking of that, that um, there are some similarities here between the book and movie. Not exactly, but some of this stuff definitely does remind you of what you see in the movies. And there's some nice synergy there. And, and we just know from knowing Mina Lima, they're diehard fans. So you know you're getting quality here. And unlike the Jim K versions, there's really no point where Mina Lima skimped on color. I found certain illustrations in the big book to be a little bit drained, a little bit more bleak than I was expecting. Uh, yeah. The Mina Lima book is bursting with color. I mean, that's really all I'll say about con- contrasting the two. Um, but I'm looking at this third uh, foldout, this Diagon Alley, the storefronts, and it's just so clever the way the whole thing folds out, but the actual uh, street with all the signs and all of the different stores that we're familiar with or ads in the window, like each building is a different color. It's so beautiful. Yeah, that's a good point. Do you think they'll get darker as they go on? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> they get but, darker. They, I, but I imagine they want to differentiate themselves from the Jim K ones. So maybe they do want to keep it colorful. Maybe that was in part to keep themselves different from Jim K. As soon as mm. Cedric dies, it's going to be white uh, text <laughs> on black paper for the rest of the series <laughs> and to represent I mean, the turning point. <laughs> you know, I we don't know for sure that they're actually going to illustrate the rest of the series, but on the spine, it does say year one very big. So that right. does seem to imply that they are going to do the whole series. I don't know that how they have time to illustrate an entire book right? and movies. They're wizards. They're, they're, oh, that's why. <laughs> oh, come on. Okay. But no, I agree with you. That was one thing I was going to point out with the spine is it does set itself up very nicely for, I, I guess, what could be a seven part series and each book in a different color kind of as you go through and, and the different numbers along the spine. So I, I would think it certainly depends upon how well this book sells, but th- th- you're probably going to get at least the next book by them yeah we've thought this before though remember when scholastic released like the 10th anniversary of sorcerer's stone and a special cover by mary grand prix we're like oh this is awesome and then they never did another one (laughs) that is a good point but that's okay because we got these illustrated editions true when i was looking through the book the first time i couldn't really think of what it was called but as a kid i had these these pull-out books these pop-out books that you know for instance, with what they do with the fat lady where you where her eyes move when you pull the tab. I had yeah. so many of those books growing up and I loved them to, to yeah. bits. And between the fat lady one and Quirrell's turban, which you pull on and it unravels to reveal sinister eyes and Voldemort's face. It just really brought me back to a part of my childhood that I had forgotten. Yeah, it's really clever stuff what they did with the pop outs. So yeah, just mm-hmm. as a you know, an important note there, I felt like a kid while looking through this, and I think that this would be I almost want to say the definitive version. You know, I still prefer the the original scholastic paperback, really, which is how I first read the Harry Potter book, but this might actually encroach or come close to replacing it in my mind as far as how new readers should read the book. Well, to Andrew's point, it because you can actually read this version of it and not <laughs> you can hold it hurt without your back working out. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And that that was the one, not necessarily a knock on the book, but 
if if I had to criticize one piece of it, I I did think it's made for kids. Uh, it, this it one has a yeah, it has a very youthful feel to it as you go through, especially as Eric was talking about how the pop outs lend themselves to you going back to your childhood and, and thinking of those books that you were reading when you were a kid. I'm not saying it, it's necessarily a bad thing. It's just one of the things that I was thinking about as I was going through and looking at it. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Um, on the other hand, with the Jim K editions, maybe the book is bigger so the illustrations can be bigger and then you can appreciate the details more. I think that's right. Whereas this one, while it is very detailed, I, I think the Jim K ones are more detailed because of that photorealism I think that he's going for. Hopefully I'm not annoying art majors by using that term multiple times i did notice at the end in the about the author section the last sentence of jk <laughs> rowling's bio is she is at her happiest alone in a room making things up and i thought hmm yep that is true she does like to make things up yeah <laughs> can't argue with that <laughs> uh, all right so that's the illustrated edition of sorcerer's stone mina lima i you know Eric really likes this. He thinks it's definitive. I think I'm going to stick with the Jim K ones. I, I don't need two illustrated edition series. And because oh. there's already four of the Jim K ones out, uh, I'm going to stick with those. Like everything else, I'm waiting to buy secondhand. I really like the book. I, I think Mito Lima did a, a amazing job. And like I said, I, I think a lot of their inspiration is being drawn from their work on the movies and fans are going to get the opportunity to see things illustrated and come to life that they otherwise wouldn't in Jim K's edition. And that's not Jim K's fault. That's just because these two are, you know, have have created all, almost all the props that we've seen in, in the Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts films. One final thought on my end is that they there's a long history of illustrating fantasy works um, in literature, like for hundreds of years now, like all the fantasy books uh, get illustrated treatments kind of like this. And this version, more than any other, really brings Harry Potter into that tradition. And it helps that Nina Lima did all those fantasy, uh, fantasy books before this, all the fairy tales. So I think it's a really cool literary tradition that's being visited. I don't think this is just a shameless money grab. Uh, but the book does retail for $37.99 in the U.S. So it's time to discuss the most controversial Harry Potter opinions of our listeners. What are the Harry Potter opinions that you think would get you in trouble that would have people flinging an unforgivable curse at you that would have fred and george playing a trick on you that would cause umbridge to write a new decree <laughs> about you that would have hermione yelling at you that would cause snape to actually like you we received many and this is going to be a fun discussion we'll start with this one from andy it's a pretty big one so that's why we're starting with it harry was a good character not great he had his wits and good friends, but he often spoke about feeling alone and like no one could relate to him. But Neville and Luna had lost parents and knew how he felt. Neville could have literally been him and he pitied them and called them weird. Weird. He laughed at Ron's jokes about them and never saw them as real friends. Neville worshipped the ground they walked on. What do you guys think of that? Harry, not, not the greatest lead character. I, I agree with this, that he would frequently ignore neville and luna over the years i mean i think he started to realize a little bit towards the end of order of the phoenix that uh he could relate to her but uh, i think that's what makes the books interesting though is that harry is not exceptional he's very he's like a regular dude 
And I, I think that's what makes the story compelling. But I do agree. I think that there are times throughout the books where I get really frustrated because I'm like, oh, there are people in your life who care about you and want to be closer with you. And he kind of has tunnel vision. And he's like, nope, got Ron and Hermione. That's all I need. Yeah, I agree with yeah, this take. Th- you do. I, this reminds me of the towards the end of Word of the Phoenix, the moment when they're all making that decision to go to the ministry. And, you know, Harry is really reluctant as it relates to to Neville, Luna, and Ginny specifically. And I, I don't know, maybe it's just kind of to Laura's point, like with Harry being just your average kid, you know, he's he's a teenager. And these are not uncommon thoughts and actions for teenagers to have, you know, in terms of how they think about people. They grow, they mature, hopefully. And and they don't treat people like this you know, moving forward, uh, but I, I do think that especially Luna and Harry become very close before the end of the series. Is it too little, too late though? I don't know. Maybe it's a little hard to forgive Harry because it did take him a little while. Yeah, I mean, but I guess on the other hand, that's growing up. Yeah, I like where it's a growth moment, but he does keep circles. Harry just has, but this is something that was probably instilled in him by Dumbledore, who had a very close knit inner circle. And if you weren't in the circle, you were out. And that's yeah. kind of the way Harry operates. All right. This next one from Jacob. Alan Rickman gave great performances in the film series of Snape, but he is not book Snape. Much colder, less expressive, and less slimy than book Snape. Still, I would not change a thing. The character works better on screen as Alan Rickman's stone-faced, well-groomed Snape. Yeah, I agree with this. Um, I think Alan Rickman was great casting. But first of all, he was way too old to be Snape. I mean, Snape was supposed to be a young man. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, Snape is definitely, he has some more comic moments in the books, I think. I feel like I've realized this as we've done chapter by chapter. (laughs) He's more darkly comical at times, whereas Alan Rickman keeps it, as Jacob said, like very stone-faced. But I don't know. I, I think it worked for the movies. And I'm able to accept both of these Snapes canonically, like they both exist in yeah. my interpretation. And the Snape in the books is really mean. And I know the movie one is to a degree, but when you reread these books, you're just reminded of how terrible he was. You know, I compared it last night when I was reading over this doc to uh, book Snape is Alan Rickman's Dumbledore. Book Snape is Michael Gambon's Dumbledore in order in Goblet of Fire, where he's shaking Harry, where he's just completely unhinged. That like that's kind <laughs> of book Snape at times. Because Book Snape, especially at the end of uh, book three, when he's trying to get uh Sirius Black, you know, killed, is very, very much just unhinged, out of control, never seen him so bad, kind of a thing. Next one is from Anoka. Hermione is kind of a terrible person. She was disrespectful <laughs> to Trelawney, made fun of Luna, set the birds to attack Ron, the whole thing with Marietta and the DA contract and the spew thing in which she never respected the house elves autonomy and decided she knew what was best. And then Tara added on to that rereading book five now. And yeah, she's hard to take in some parts. 
nagging Harry all the time about occlumency, jinxing the DA sign-up list. The movies really seem to drop any of their negative characteristics and played her importance up and Ron's importance as Harry's best friend down. Oh my God. Plus one, Tara. Snaps. (laughs) Snaps. This is one of the things, I just brought this up like five minutes ago, but it's one of the things that's so annoying to me in the movies. Like, I know that Steve Clovis loves Hermione, but he literally gave all of Ron's good moments to her. (laughs) So annoying. Well, this whole thing here that they dropped any of her negative characteristics for the film adaptations. I'm blown by it, blown away by that. Like, I'm absolutely blown away because Hermione does in the books at least have some negative qualities. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I remember. I can't remember the specific thing we were talking about, but there was a moment, I think, during Order of the Phoenix where we were all shocked by something that Hermione did. Like, we were really disappointed in her. I wish I, I could you're remember right. what it was. Yeah, yeah, but. I know. I think you're right. But she she fixates. She has a need for control. She has a need to be right. Um, you know, these are not always the greatest uh, traits to have. And, and regarding Spew, I think this take by Anoka is very 100% right. Like... Is it possible to do the right thing for the wrong reasons? If so, that's Hermione and Spew. Because Hermione thinks she's going to fix these people. That she's going to be a savior to the house elves. But she's really never sat down and listened to one. And in fact, when she gets close up, nose to nose with a house elf and Dobby is there, uh, she has to pretend to not hear him and ignore him when he says that he likes being free and he likes you know, all the things that she's she's trying to or that he likes still serving Hogwarts. She has to, like, pretend to ignore it. So she yeah. is selective hearing, too. Yeah. And that's not any of us saying that Hermione is a bad character. She's one of my favorites in the series. But the reason that I love her is because she's like a regular person. She has flaws. But I agree. In the movie, they dropped all of it. I mean, she does annoying things throughout the books. Remember when she um, went and told on Harry in Prisoner of Azkaban for receiving the firebolt? And then McGonagall took it away from him? Like, she absolutely does annoying things in the books. Adriana, who's listening live now on Patreon, she reminds us when she says she wishes she could see Thestrals is what you were all shocked about, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I wish I saw somebody die so I could see a Thestral. Not appropriate, <laughs> Hermione. Yeah, she she also had some questionable comments about Ferenz that I think we uh, oh mm, yeah mm-hmm, reacted Ooh, yeah, that to. Was rough. Uh oh. So seeing a new bit coming on here. Hermione <laughs> is a mean nightmare. Okay, next one from Seabird. I loved the dance scene between Harry and Hermione. This fleeting moment where they could have kissed, but it would never happen. I listened to this song for weeks and weeks on repeat. It's one of my favorite scenes, but I feel like nobody gets that same feeling. I loved that song as well. I was also listening to it a lot after the movie. <laughs> it's a good song. I like the song. Yeah. I I just it this really felt and I'm not saying that it's like not a good thing but this definitely felt like a movieism thing and we could have a whole conversation about like the canon that has grown out of the film portrayals i think that there are a lot of things that came out of the films that weren't necessarily bookisms that you could argue fit the canon of this universe and and this could be one of those moments it just felt 
to me, like it kind of came out of nowhere. Yep. Some people are going to watch that scene and see it not as Harry Hermione, but as Dan and Emma. And I think that's also emotional. I think for me, when I watched movie seven for the first time, I was very impressed by how the actors had grown into their characters. And so I saw them as kind of a hybrid of Dan Harry, Emma Hermione, and that whole dancing, will they kiss, will they not kiss kind of a thing felt perfectly you know, on point to me at the time. So I agree with it. I, I think also that a lot of the criticism came from the fact that there were so many things that were left out of the films. So for this to be included when it never at least happened on the written page, that that certainly rubbed people the wrong way. But I will say at the same time, these two were traveling together inside of a tent for how long? And, you know, they're teenagers and they have feelings and emotions and they've grown up together and been at school with each other for the last six years. Like, yeah, it's certainly possible. Right. Yeah. I mean, and they're also so, in a really stressful situation. So, right. And I do think they care deeply about each other as well. So oh, of course. Yeah. 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 But yeah, it did get attacked when the movie first came out. Right. Some people were hating on the scene, I think. Which is why Seabird feels that way. I mean, if you want to see them make out, just go to the Locket Horcrux <laughs> destruction scene. <laughs> yeah, or oh um, of course, there's endless fan fiction. Um, that song, by the way, was Oh Children by Nick Cave, for anybody who was wondering. Next opinion from Megan. All the credit to Dobby whenever he came through for Harry, but his personality was annoying. <laughs> that is true i mean the voice oh, stop. i just think I feel it like a- between last episode calling dobby like scary to look at and like <laughs> this episode we're just this is like a hit a hit on dobby we were it's just hate on dobby to, like, month here on MuggleCast. oh my god i just think it's it's his unwavering loyalty towards harry that people find annoying in in this in, in the sense that that's what's coming through <laughs> how no, dare no, he no that's that he look I, I think we can all point to at times you know there are people like dobby i feel like just wants to be close to harry and and help him in in any way that he can and so that i think behavior does have a tendency to come across whether to a reader or to a viewer as being somewhat annoying, but I, I think his intentions are good. Yeah. yeah. And this is where I get annoyed with Harry too. Cause he forgets about Dobby. Like, remember, I think it was order of the <laughs> Phoenix at Christmas time. Dobby shows up and he has a Christmas present for Harry and Harry's like, Oh crap. I didn't get him anything. So he goes and <laughs> finds some wadded up socks in his trunk. And he's like, here you go, Dobby. <laughs> and Dobby's like, woohoo. It's so mean. <laughs> hey, if that's what he wants, you know, that's his passion. Oh, my God. Uh, next one from Ark. I liked Michael Gambon better as Dumbledore than Richard Harris. Whoa. I just felt he was more believable as a badass wizard. Yes. Oh, my God. I'm in the minority on this, too. But I, I prefer I'm Michael Gambon. I'm viscerally <laughs> hurt. By, but I, I also understand it. I mean... Richard Harris is my Dumbledore and will always be my Dumbledore. But if you rewatch the, you know, Chamber of Secrets film, it does look like a mild to intermediate gust of wind will take him down. 
and that <laughs> but isn't is that just a part... problem for 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 you know book five scenes. You're you right know, when he's got to go up it. So I think it was inevitable due to the age of the actor that they recast him. There was just so much about Michael Gambon that was so offensive to me at first. (laughs) He would never, he would never read a Harry Potter book, right? Like he would never, he didn't care. He didn't want to be there half the time. Like, and it was just so weirdly tonally shifted. But now eventually, does that not make him the perfect Dumbledore? (laughs) Wow. You're you're actually going, you're extending what ARC, what ARC said. (laughs) You're saying Michael Gambon is the best possible Dumbledore. And because he doesn't care about Hogwarts, just like the real Dumbledore. Oh, <laughs> make is, a strong case, actually. Isn't that what well, you were saying, Eric, about a gust of wind being able to, you know, just kind of take Topple him out? Richard Harris. Yeah, yeah take yeah. him out into the night sky and kind of blow away like Aunt Marge. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I to me, that's part of the allure of 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 Dumbledore's character. He is a hundred, regardless of who's playing him. He is one hundred and fifty years old. Yeah. It, there's a power in that. There's a power in not, you know, looking, not that Michael Gammon is like this rough and tumble, you know, jacked individual, but <laughs> I, I just, I understand what you're saying. There's like, there's a fragility to Richard Harris's Dumbledore, but I also feel like that could be used to his advantage at the same time. Yeah. Also, we're yeah. pointing out Richard Harris was really sick. Especially in yeah. Chamber of Secrets, so that could mm. have something to do with it. Yeah, but exactly. this this comment from Ark did make me think about it though. They bring up a good point. You need a stronger actor in in on multiple levels to take on those Dumbledore scenes in the later films. I wish that the films had been mounted ten years earlier and we could have seen Richard Harris the whole way through. That's a wish. Yeah, just final point. I will say with Michael Gambon, I thought some of his best moments were when he was in his office with Harry and they were having those one-on-one conversations. Oh, for sure. I agree with that. Yeah, and he definitely came into his own in by the by the time it was all wrapped up, Gambon found his Dumbledore. But still didn't care about Harry Potter on a whole. <laughs> just like the real Dumbledore. Just yep. like the real Dumbledore. It's beautiful, really. Wow. We had a breakthrough here today. <laughs> Um, this next one is from Laura. I don't think it's this Laura. Maybe it is. No, I know. <laughs> People who have only watched the movies and haven't read the books aren't real fans. I actually agree with this. There's so <gasps> much more that they're missing out on by not reading the books. So, yeah, they're not real fans. A real fan would consume the core story. I, I think this is gatekeeping and it's dangerous. Yeah, true. It's it's untrue because I I mean I would point out another very popular series just recently right a Song of Ice and Fire Game of Thrones are are you not a Game of Thrones fan if you only watched the Game of Thrones TV series and didn't read the one thousand plus page books that George R R Martin writes I don't think so right. but well yeah. wait a second I mean it, would you argue that Game of Thrones is a good, a very good adaptation of the books because I think the key problem is that the Harry Um, Potter movies aren't a perfect adaptation of the books. Game of Thrones started out as being a good adaptation of the books, and then it just started to go in so many different directions, and we could spend a lot of time discussing uh, things were changed, things were left out, which happens. I get it, but. 
I would also argue that I don't think the Harry Potter films are great adaptations of the books on the whole. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. But I think that there are a lot of major themes from the books that do come through in the movies. And there are a lot of reasons why someone might not choose to pick up a book. And I think those are really personal reasons. So I would hesitate to say that you can't be a fan if you haven't read the books. I mean, 14% of the global population can't read. That's one place to start. Well, there's audiobooks. There's other ways. I mean, you know, somebody could read it to you too. I yeah, just I, if you're if you're watching the movies, you're only getting a fraction of the story. No, I, That's I true agree there. Anything, it's though. just like it, it's an accessibility issue, right? Like, what if you can't afford an audiobook? I think it's dangerous to use this term real fan and not real fan. And I think we as a collective fan society just need to move past it. That's the only fault I find with with Laura's point here is, you know, there are people who've only watched the movies and and I I meet people like this all the time. They're like, oh yeah, I saw the movies. They were really good. I, I wouldn't invite them on as a, you know, permanent co-host uh to MuggleCast or anything. But <laughs> I think that but I but I but that it's not that we're like any better, you know, I I don't know. I just I'm the not, term I'm real not fan, saying yeah, yeah. Yeah. I see your point there. I'm not trying to act like I'm better than people who have only <laughs> seen the movies, but they are missing out on a lot. Of and course. If you're a true fan, look, I mean, you can't if you can afford to see the movies, you can afford to get the book or get the audiobook or go to a library. So that argument do you, doesn't really How do you know that though? Do you know every single person's individual circumstances? Like, if you yeah. can see a movie, you can get a book in ninety nine point nine percent of cases. Maybe somebody is squatting in an apartment that has a Peacock TV subscription, <laughs> uh, and so they're able to see the Harry Potter films on repeat, but never get a book. We don't know. We just, I think it's our job as people who have done both, right, the book and the movies to preach the and, and praise and sing the praises of the books and try and convert as many people as we can to readers. That's our job. Our job is not to criticize those who have not read. Agree. Yeah. And I mean, for the record, I don't think that this is where Laura, this Laura who wrote in is getting at. I don't no. think she was saying like, she wasn't talking about accessibility. She was talking about people who just happened. Maybe they, maybe they're not readers. Uh, you know, and just it, just in that they don't like reading books. It's not their thing. They would rather mm. watch a movie, which is a passive activity, much easier than reading a book. I've definitely judged people for being lazy, like people who I knew like <laughs> had access to the books and wouldn't read them. Like, right. I, I also meet plenty of those people like whose significant others really love the books. And it's like it, they just won't pick it up. And I'm just like, dude, just pick it up. You're going to win so many points. You know, right. <laughs> like, it's like my yeah. own brother and sister, like they've seen all the movies, but they haven't read the books. And they're like, what are yeah, you waiting for? On. And Ryan's a reader. So. So is he not uh, a real fan? Yeah, absolutely. But he also doesn't call himself a fan. So <laughs> yeah. he well, recognizes. I think, I, th- th- and that's where I think the rub is in all of this is, is who is defining what real fan means? Like what, what's the standard? Like who, who's, you know, and that, that would apply for any fandom. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, it's not like they check at the door when you come to a convention. Have you read the books? Have you watched the movies? <laughs> they oh, should. no, you haven't done both. Sorry. <laughs> go home. You know, it, so it, I, I think it's a preference. Yes. Okay. Well, 
Next one is from Thomas. The chapters that aren't about Harry are the best parts of the series. I remember Goblet of Fire coming out and my chums at school bemoaning the first chapter, but I thought it was great. Same at the beginning of Half-Blood Prince. I like that take. Here's, yeah, me too. Here's a question. Do we like that? Do we like this take? And do we love these chapters without Harry because there are so few of them? I think so, but go back to our favorite chapters of, of the Harry Potter series. The first two from Half-Blood Prince were in there. Yeah, but I mean, isn't it because like there are so few- It's because few, he's like, not there. Were... <laughs> it's because <laughs> we spent so much them. effing time with him in the seven books that it's like, oh, great. Like a relief. We get to see something through somebody else's perspective. That's, it is refreshing. Yeah, yeah, but that's my point. But if there were, if, there, if every book opened with a chapter without Harry- we would not say all seven of those chapters were the best chapters in Harry Potter. We've, you know, I Maybe. think I said this while we were going through chapter by chapter. It's very, it's very refreshing to have chapters that don't involve Harry that take that take you to a different part of the Wizarding World. It's the spinoff books in a way that we never received. Next one from Nicole. I'm more excited about Hermione Crumb as a couple than Hermione Ron. <laughs> Hermione and Crumb really hit it off in Goblet of Fire. Yeah. I can see this too because this moment also brings out the worst in Ron. Yeah. And it really it makes you be like, oh, does she really want to be with that guy? Like who's gonna be and you know, so infantile about her potentially having interest in someone else. Like I, I, I can see it. I respect it. I, you know, people forget this. I was reading a bio on Hermione and Crumb, and uh, Hermione became so engrossed in her conversations with Crumb that at one point she seemed to forget that she was eating. I mean, yeah, Ron never had that effect on her. Yeah, quite the opposite. <laughs> I'm sure it's sometimes. <laughs> but I, I would have liked I, I to have a question seen... though. How old yeah. was Crumb? Because he was. I, eight, I've always 18. had this misconception in my mind. But yeah, because he plays for the Bulgarian Quidditch team at the beginning of Goblet of Fire. And I don't know. Is there an age requirement to be on the national team? He's probably been scouted. Like he was, he was like one of the youngest, my headcanon is he's one of the youngest professional players, but he's still a Durmstrang student. And so he has to be 18 or 17. And uh, I was reminded because even though Harry's 14, Hermione's slightly older than him. So he, she's like 15 and Crum is like, 18 yeah he's definitely of age we can safely say that okay well let's take a break from all this controversy and hear from our second sponsor this week beach body on demand fall is here winter is coming and coronavirus cases are on the rise and i believe the scientists when they say that cases are going to continue to climb as we head into the winter so you need to stay at home so you don't catch the virus or spread it to others but hopefully you also want to be good to your body during quarantine. It's more important than ever if you're spending more time at home. So I want you to check out Beachbody On Demand. They are the easy-to-use streaming service that gives you instant access to over 1,300 super effective workouts, and they're suited for anybody at any time. We all know that working out can improve your physical and mental health. I cannot imagine working out. I'm addicted to it. And not necessarily for staying in shape, but more importantly, just feeling better in my head. It helps me get through the day. I work out in the afternoon and it carries me through the rest of the day. And once you try Beach Body On Demand, you're going to notice improvements too. 
Beachbody On Demand lets you achieve your goals from the comfort and safety of home, and it is much cheaper than a gym membership. They've got so many workout programs, but I've been really enjoying this new workout lately called Muscle Burns Fat, which focuses on strength training. Workouts are as short as 10 minutes, and they don't require any extra equipment, so they're easy to fit into your day. There are programs that can work for any experience level, whether you're just getting started or you've been working out for a while. I want you to try Beachbody On Demand. Take a break from the others you share a home with. Improve your mental well-being. Feel like you're doing something good for yourself. Right now, our listeners can get a special free trial membership when you text MuggleCast to 303030. It's so easy to get this trial, so do it right now. You will get full access to this entire platform for free. All the workouts, the nutrition information, and support absolutely free. This is a free membership. Again, just text MuggleCast to 303030. Do it right now. Okay, next one from Diana. Everyone being in a convenient relationship with people they went to school with is unrealistic. How often does an entire class of students marry their significant other from high school? I would have liked to see Hermione marry a guy she met from work or something. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. It is true. Yeah, this is something I never thought about before. But all these couples who get together, they all went to school together. Here's the problem. And this is something in the writing. It's like a you have to do this. Hogwarts is said to be the catch-all for every British wizard ever. So if there is somebody that you're going to meet that's also a wizard and you don't want to be like lying to a muggle partner, then your partner is eventually or inevitably going to be a Hogwarts student, mm-hmm. a fellow Hogwarts student. Mm-hmm. So if you have no aspirations of leaving the country and you don't want to lie to a muggle, then these are your options. But I agree 100% with the, uh, the take. All right, next one from Anders. The attack on the burrow was a good addition to the Half-Blood Prince movie. <laughs> now, <laughs> this is controversial because a lot of people did not like that scene, no. myself included, in part because it involved the Weasleys, but also because it just <laughs> got wedged in. <laughs> well, it, you it, in that case, you would have loved it, Andrew. I don't, I don't, they're destroying yeah, their home. The, the Weasleys were in real danger. Yeah. <laughs> Touche. Burn no, but all we all, we all panned this scene, right? It just felt out of place at the time. I think the problem is we were asked to justify or this was somehow put in there in our heads to be like the replacement for Dumbledore's funeral. Mm -hmm. So like the reason we couldn't get Dumbledore's funeral at the end of Half-Blood Prince. And the uh, second war or the first and the second say. Yeah. So wait, 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 wait. So instead of his casket bursting into flames, the burrow burst into flames. That's the (laughs) that's the alternative. There also wasn't you know, like a battle in the same way, like, mm-hmm. I, yeah. Right, that's like what they I removed, mean at the ends. Yeah, they removed a lot of stuff at the end of the sixth movie, and so when we got the Burrow scene, which wasn't in the book, in the middle of the movie, we were just like, what the heck? I, I don't think it did anything for the film, though, I, and and that's why I really didn't like it, and I understand it's supposed to add this element of fear and terror to everything that's going on, especially with the way that the movie opens with the destruction of the bridge, but there's so many other scenes that could have been included. There's so many memories that weren't included that Harry and Dumbledore go through uh, as they relate to Tom Riddle that weren't in there. That's, that's always what I think about in these cases, the, the, the trade-off aspect of it, like you're, you're including one scene, but obviously you're doing that at the expense of another not being in there. So I would have loved to have seen the Bob Ogden, at at the gaunt yeah. house scene versus 
you know, Bellatrix and, and Greyback blowing up the borough. Uh, that's just me, though. I remember at the time, I think they were talking about, you know, we did this for the pacing, the pacing, yep. it's all about the pacing, and, <laughs> of and course. To, to remind people of the threat at hand, those were the two key reasons, but didn't sit right with a lot of people. Okay, next one from Faryal. The Marauders, intelligent and witty as they may be, sounded like total douches and reminded me of every bully I hated in my school years. Peg added... Sirius and James were jerks, and Sirius is still a jerk. Yep. Uh, Agreed. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, I would agree with that as well. Yep. They were very mean. But, you know, on the other hand, <sighs> they were kids. They grew out of it, except for Sirius, at least according well, to Peg. Yeah. And well, that's the thing. Like, yeah. they were never given the opportunity to grow up properly, right? Like, mm. and I think that's important to remember. Like, probably, like, I think back on people who were mean to me when I was in school and it chances are they probably grew up to be normal human beings. I hope. Right. Um, okay. Next one from Jacob. Percy Weasley is a true Gryffindor. Even though we did not agree with his political views in book five, it takes a lot of courage to go against your family in favor of what you believe in. Even if he would later say it was foolish to do so. That's interesting. Hot take. I got burned by this hot take. This is <laughs> very Spicy. Like, yeah, where well, were those takes that, like, actually Percy was brave, especially after the Neville stuff? Dumbledore specifically calls out Neville's bravery for standing up to Harry, Hermione, and Ron, even when Neville was completely wrong. To was do that. Percy being brave, though? Or was he just uh, being a douche? I think he was being. You got to look at what he sacrificed. Percy very boldly was like i don't need my mama i don't need my dad and brothers and sister i i think he's ambitious and i think yeah. there's there's probably something and we probably could do an entire episode talking about percy and being in that family i don't know that he got necessarily the attention that he wanted or needed and i mm. think it was a driver for him i think he was very smart and i think that there was part of him that really wanted to kind of prove his family wrong in a way. And and for him to so quickly ascend to a level that was deemed above his dad, you know, I just think that there are things about Percy we don't really know. I don't know that it, it, it I don't know that it's brave though. I, I just think that there are other qualities at work here. Tia said Snape is a horrific human being. Being in love with someone who died doesn't excuse horrific behavior to their child and others. And Mrs. Molly added, Snape is awful and always is creepy. <laughs> that is creepy. <laughs> Let it go, dude. Always? She's dead now. It doesn't excuse his treatment of Harry. You would think that if he has this undying love for Lily, despite who the father is, that he would find a way to treat Harry in an appropriate Matter. I mean, he is just right. downright nasty, rude, and inappropriate towards him at times. Yeah, that, Snape is a teacher. It is his job to be a, a good role model for Snape or for Harry, and to treat him like he would any other student. Jillian says, "Cursed child is canon." Oh. <laughs> I agree. The author said so, so it's canon. Do you believe everything the author says? Ooh, <laughs> that's a trap. Don't answer oh, that, no. Andrew. Don't answer it. Oh, no. Oh, okay. No comment. <laughs> but uh, definitely a hot, spicy take. 
uh, <laughs> from Jillian. The author signed off on the screenplay. The author uh, has said it is canon. The author's okay. name is on it. To me, right. that, means, that makes that it means all canon. Cedric Diggory, that means Cedric Diggory was like one day away from, one bad experience away from straight up being like the people who killed him. And I think that is a smear jab on Hufflepuff. I, I think you can accept it's canon and also just not accept it as part of the story. Yeah, you know, just, as, just uh, don't think about sense. what happens 19 years later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I've never fully read like the whole script because I heard the high points and I was like, mm, no, I don't need that. That does not aid my interpretation of the text at all. So it's it's, it's kind of like the Star Wars prequels. They're canon, but you just don't think about what happened in them. <laughs> People hated the prequels for anybody who doesn't. <laughs> I think you should still see the play if you can, Laura. Oh, yeah. We're going to make Laura see it. No. Yeah. No, that's all what? right. I'm good. <laughs> oh, no. You got to see it. J.K. Rowling Laura. has Come ruined on. everything. Yeah, she really has. <laughs> don't blame me. Do it right, for the we'll cast. find you a bootleg. <laughs> Do it for the cast. My absolute favorite controversial opinion is this next one from bob and i never knew a controversial opinion could be so good okay bob says hogwarts should not have a hospital wing it's a massive waste of valuable classroom space and resources in a world where side-along apparition is possible just outside hogwarts that's a good uh, point he's coming he's coming for the hospital wing i like this i never idea, expected no. i never expected somebody to be like that hospital wing that saves lives does not need to be there. His reasoning is sound, though, because if you can easily get somebody to a hospital, why not free up that hospital wing for more classrooms? And you have infinite space. You Andrew. have, you have literally well, a world where space grows whenever you, you want it to. Is, You're is the one who talks about how on every episode, Hogwarts is a security nightmare. It's a super dangerous place. They don't just need a wing. They need an entire building on campus at Hogwarts. <laughs> Build a subway from Hogwarts to uh, St. Mungo's and they'll be fine. No, I think I like the idea here that because you can transport somebody so quickly anywhere, there doesn't need to be a hospital on site. Yeah, but it's dangerous. Shouldn't there yeah. be a dedicated resource for the students? Like, what if you get to St. Mungo's and you have to wait for four hours yeah. to see a doctor? Okay, so St. Mungo's has a, has a hospital wing dedicated to Hogwarts students, and, and who Lord knows no. they need it because it's starting to sound like a security nightmare. Security nightmare. You're going to kick Madame Pomfrey to the curb? I mean, she needs employment. I wouldn't be the first teacher to be kicked out of the school or, or <laughs> faculty member. Well, unlike most of them, she knows how to do her job. <laughs> okay that's a good point actually yeah. I, and I, you say hogwarts point, has unlimited space i i know i mean there is a physical castle there yeah the room and requirement gives you what you need most schools but, have yeah, infirmaries like actual, though yeah if they needed more classrooms they could just add some on and you know they could it's like the burrow just build it on <laughs> use those um, ruins behind hogwarts for more they, yeah they were probably once a a bigger hospital I want to say and it got destroyed <laughs> due to you know one what? of the many horrible things. They just need a Chansey on staff and <laughs> Chansey. The Chansey just, and it, yeah, it just roams around joy. the school. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Th this way you don't need a whole area dedicated to it. You just have Chansey go around the school. Chansey. Max said, 
I don't like how Harry and Ginny ended up together. No chemistry in the books either. Agree. Yeah, I yeah. agree with this one too. I disagree. Really? Of course. <laughs> well, oh yeah. yeah, read, yeah my Ginny. read my upcoming fanfic, okay? It's <laughs> happening. <laughs> upcoming. Okay. I'm just wondering, does is it gonna take as long as George R. R. Martin is on the winds of winter? Or <laughs> yeah, what's coming first? All right. It's co- it's called several I I'll t- it's several sunlit days. And it's coming within the next six months. Eric comes up with good (laughs) titles. Several sunlit days, never sever us. Uh, Okay, and finally, It's the Grim says, Remus was the worst for not writing to Harry in year one. He also sucked for not visiting Sirius and getting the truth. The lack of action was infuriating. (laughs) Is it just... I agree with this. Yeah. No, I agree too. But is it just because Rowling wasn't ready to introduce Remus? Probably. Oh, maybe. I, I agree. Like, I, 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 we talked a little bit about this recently about how Remus just doesn't seem to much care for involving himself in Harry's life early on and or reaching out to Sirius to help to try and solve. You would think your best friend gets thrown into Azkaban for murdering your other two best friends. You would do a little bit of investigating as to what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so those are the controversial opinions about the Harry Potter series. We hope everybody enjoyed that. Keep them coming. Maybe we can do another one of these episodes in the future. I think that would be a lot of fun. I'm sure there is no shortage of controversial opinions. We also got some about J.K. Rowling in light of what's happened over the past year, but we wanted to focus on the books and the movies. So that's why we did that. Uh, Laura, what are we doing on next week's episode? So because next week's episode is going to be coming out on Election Day here in the States, we're going to be talking about the politics of the wizarding world. And we may even have an election for the new Minister of Magic. Oh, fun. Hermione 2020. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to submit your own controversial opinions, email mugglecast at gmail.com or use the contact form on mugglecast.com or call us 1-9203-MUGGLE. That's 1-9203-68-4453 or record a voice memo on your phone and email that to mugglecast at gmail.com. It's time for Quizzage. Last week's question, how many muggles did the opal necklace reportedly kill? This answer is found in Chamber of Secrets. The correct answer was 19. Hmm. 19 muggle owners to date. Correct answers were submitted by Hallow Wolf, Mags, Lance Dance, Port Voldemort, Callahan, and Count Ravioli. Next week's question. What is Harry wearing? During his first dream that he has in Gryffindor Tower. Huh. Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) And don't forget, we have a live Quizzage game happening this Saturday, October 31st at 3 p.m. Eastern, Halloween edition, a live trivia game. You'll be competing against fellow Harry Potter fans as you answer spooky questions about the Harry Potter books. 
Don't forget to follow us on social media. We are MuggleCast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And we would love if you joined our Patreon, patreon.com slash MuggleCast. You get a new physical gift every year if you pledge at the Dumbledore's Army level or higher. You also get to sit in on our live stream so you can hear us recording in real time. You get this unedited look at MuggleCast and you get to hear us before and after recording as well, which is fun. And you also get a personalized video thank you message from one of the four of us. You get access to our planning doc so you can see what's coming up on future episodes and supporting us on patreon helps us run this show and helps us invest in new artwork and sound effects and things like that so we really appreciate your support and it really motivates us to continue producing MuggleCast. so thank you and thank you for listening to today's episode i'm andrew i'm eric uh micah and i'm laura bye everybody bye bye, bye. bye.